Ready to boost sales and grow your business without the BS? Welcome to the Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We'll be sharing actionable tips across marketing, sales, and growth without the BS to help you skyrocket your business. And welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. I'm excited to be joined by James Moore today. James is the founder and CEO of Best Practice International and is best-selling author of the number one book on closing sales, The Perfect Close. James, a warm welcome. Excited for this one, dude. How are you doing? I'm excited. Thanks for having me on. No worries, man. So we're going to be talking all about the secret to closing deals. We're going to be talking a bit about your book. And we're going to be helping everyone tuning in, business owners, salespeople, essentially how they can get more deals over the line. I'm going to put you on the spot, though, James, straight away. Is there really a secret to closing deals and a formula to doing it consistently? (laughs) You know, honestly, the only thing that really makes it a secret is that the common methods that uh, people use for closing for the last, I don't know, 50 years or whatever that are all so dysfunctional and so bad that people actually end up doing nothing. Actually, um, 50 to 90 percent of all sales encounters actually end without any uh, closing or any you know commitment being asked for whatsoever. 50 to 90 percent. And that is like wow. a, just a mind boggling statistic to me. So if there's a secret, it's and, and if you ask me why that is, by the way, I would just tell you that because we go out and someone will Google what a good close and they listen to that close. I think I could never say that. That is totally manipulative. And since 99 percent of these little tactics that are taught out there are manipulative, people just don't do anything. Right. Rather than try to rather than to damage the relationship with the client, they, they just don't do anything. And so if there's a secret, it's just that the, the common um, myth or knowledge about what closing is, is really very flawed. And uh, it, it's throughout, it's not hard at all. Actually, it's very simple. Um, and so in that sense, I guess it's a secret. But if you just you know get off of yourself and stop leaning into it so hard, you'll realize that it's a lot easier than you think. That's a heck of a high stat. I didn't realize that that percentage was so high. So 50 to 99 percent people don't even ask for the sale. So they've had a conversation with their prospect. It, it varies. Not... Yeah, it varies a little bit by industry. But it's sure. in some industries as high as 90 percent where that where a meeting will happen, but nobody's asking for commitment on either side. Mad madness, madness. OK, so. I want to jump straight into this. I mean, before perhaps we we lead up to it, um, maybe we should talk talk about on your side of things because on this show we've we've talked covered all all I say all many different angles of the sales process, whether that's cold calling, whether that's generating inbound opportunities, whether that's mm-hmm. discovery calls, presentations, and of course now we're leaning towards the end of that sales cycle and asking for the business. How, in your opinion, James, how much weight is there on actually asking for the business itself? Well, it is very important um, because if you, you you can go through all the rest of the process, if you can't get it over the finish line, you won't, you know, you, you actually get a sale at all. And so it's arguably the most important step. But but let me just let me frame that a little bit because I had a client yeah. ask me this. They said, they said, hey, what is the single best thing I can do to improve sales? And mm-hmm. you would think as an author of a best-selling book on closing, my answer would be closing. But the, the answer, the truth is, it's not that. The single best thing that any business can do to improve sales is to sell to only ideal clients, right? And the, re- and the reason for that is that that's at the top of the funnel. And so if I, if I put in garbage at the top, it doesn't even matter. You could execute the rest of your process completely flawlessly. But if you're selling to the wrong person who actually can't buy it, it'll all fall in deaf ears. So with that little caveat, and I know this, this, uh, this session is not about targeting, but really 
that is the single most effective, like that's what the data shows. If you, if you only sell to ideal clients, you'll improve everything else in your sales process. Hey, I appreciate the honesty. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> that, is, that is the ideal situation, right? To be selling only to your ideal customers. Um, unfortunately, I know I've seen the front end of it that it doesn't always work out that way with, with how things go. But certainly that's, that's what we want to be gearing towards. Um, so let's, let's jump into it. I mean, James, tell us a bit more about what the perfect close is and what it really involves and, and how we can put it into action. Sure. Well, so for anybody that's nervous, right? And most of the people when they hear the title of the perfect close, which is maybe maybe not the best title to have chosen, is they think it's some kind of manipulative, you know, phrase or thing that you're gonna say that's going to, you know, automatically persuade people to buy, but it's really not that. Um, and so uh, maybe uh, it, it's really just two questions. It's zero pressure and it's 95% effective. And so when people hear that last part, it sounds too good to be true. But let me just give you a little data on that. There is a, a company out there called gong.io. And what they are is they do, they're a call analytics company. They analyze call, call centers and calls. And they actually asked this question. They said, what is the single best closing approach that there is? And they analyzed over a million calls and they determined that the perfect close, which is the one we're gonna share with your audience right now, is hands down the best closing approach that there is and that the top performers are actually using it about three times per hour per hour which should tell you that it doesn't get old the more you use it so and and, uh, and to contrast that with all the i have every book on closing you can think of and there's all they all have names and they all have special setups and sometimes and most of them are very manipulative and and you have to know the exact right time and the perfect close isn't like that you, you don't have to know the right timing of it you don't have to it's so facilitative and open that it, it leaves you and the customer on um, a much emotionally much higher ground. And so that's one of the things that makes it perfect. I, I didn't call it perfect, by the way. One of my students called it that. So, um, but if we want to jump into it, there's just two questions. Uh, there's actually five variations, but we'll, we'll share at least the basic variation. And then we'll see how much time we have to go through the other stuff. It, it, maybe before we actually share the questions, it might be, it might make sense to say this. Before you go into any sales encounter, you might want to give a little thought to what you want the outcome to be. Right. Well, what do you want to happen as a result of this interaction? Right. And Neil Rackham coined a phrase called an advance. And what he learned in his uh, Neil Rackham, by the way, if you don't know who he is, uh, he's from the UK and uh, he is really the patron saint of scientific selling. He conducted sure. the largest face to face sales study ever conducted, involved over thirty five thousand uh, face to face sales interactions. We learned a lot of stuff about selling. But one of the things that he learned is that nine out of 10 sales interactions don't end with a win or lose. That's actually not what happens. What happens in nine out of 10 sales interactions is we either get what he called an advance where the sale moves forward in a little way. Okay, so there's some progress is made or what he called a continuation. And a continuation is a situation where the sale's not dead, but it didn't go anywhere either. So it's just kind of stagnant and sitting there. And I know a lot of sales professionals have a, a pipeline that's full of these deals that are in continuation mode, right? So anyway, that's what he learned. That's what happened. So um, when I say that it's 95% effective, what I mean is you're going to get an advance where our sale moves forward in a little way, or you'll actually close it. Okay. And so um, with that backdrop, what we want to have before we go into any meeting is we want to have an ideal advance. What's the best possible outcome we could you know, achieve. And then okay. we want to have, want to have a couple of backup plans, right? A couple of options just in case our ideal advance proves unrealistic for some reason. And with that, you are ready to execute the perfect close. Okay. So um, basically the first question is going to be some variation of, does it make sense for us to X? Okay. I'll say it again for your audience. Does it make sense for us to X where X is your ideal advance? Okay. So let's just imagine that I'm doing consulting for you and I'm going to do an assessment. I, I might say, you know, um, does it make sense for us to schedule an assessment for you to see what our best options are? 
Okay, in that, in that example, the assessment is the X, right? Now, if you think about it, there's only two things you can say. You're going to say yes, right? Or you're going to say no. If you say yes, awesome, right? We just got our advance and we only had to ask one of the two questions, okay? If you say no, then the, the kindergarten version is just to throw the ball back to the, the customer and just ask them, say, okay, well, what do you think is a good next step then? <laughs> okay, or some variation of that. And what I can tell you is that, and it sounds so simple, but what will happen is 90% of the time, the customer will, will offer a very logical next step for where they're at in their buying process. It's when we start to push them faster than they're ready for, that's when it starts to feel like manipulation to them. But doing it the, this way with these two questions, it's completely facilitative, it's non-confrontational, and um, that you haven't really asked them to com commit to anything. And that's a very subtle difference, okay? So um, when people first learn it, they're worried about, well, what if person says no? Okay, what, that's what they're worried about, right? I can tell you. And so think about this for a second though. What have they really said no to? Did they say, no, I'm not gonna take your course of action? Huh? Because we didn't ask them to take a course of action. Did they say no? I will not. You know, I'm not going to buy your thing. No, because we didn't ask them to buy anything. All we asked is, did it make sense? And so, at its root, the perfect close is actually a timing question. Okay. So if it makes you feel more comfortable, you could say, Hey, is the timing right for us to X? And that'll work exactly the same way. So if you like that better, go ahead and use that. Right. I but love the, it. the point before, is, go ahead. Before we get to that, James. So. You talked about going back a bit, mentioning Neil Rackham and mentioning advances at each stage. So before we talk about just closing deals, is this something we can perhaps use earlier on in our sales process? So perhaps when we're having initial conversations, be that discovery calls, we've just generated an appointment. So rather than actually going using this right at the end of the sales process where we think the deal's nearly over the line and we're saying, does it make sense to move ahead and move forward, sign the contract, whatever our end result is, if we're having an early stage call, can we use it as in, does it make sense to book our second um, call with the rest of your team? Perhaps you're speaking to a marketing exec and you need to get the marketing director, um, the sales manager, whoever else is involved in the project. Does it make sense to book our next call on this date with the rest of the team? You nailed it. That's exactly it. So think about it. So in chapter eight of the book, we actually do a little bit of a brainstorm because every sales is a little different. And so there's a lot of little steps on the way to the big step, right? To the big final one. And so what we do in that session is for your type of sale, we work out, hey, what are all the little baby steps? And then before you go to have your meeting, you can just look at this list of things that you've already brainstormed and you can say, you know, all right, I think that's logical and this is logical and this is probably the best thing that could happen. And those are the, gonna be the three that you've got prepared so that you can use your ideal advance and then you'll use one of the other alternatives in the fallback, which I can, we can share with your audience in a second if you want. There's another trick, I haven't shared this with anybody, but it's called an agenda close. And so in the discovery process, if you want, you can say, you can ask the customer, you can say, well, tell me what are, you know, how are, what are the steps you're gonna go through to evaluate this solution? Right? How are you going to do it? And then they'll tell you all the steps that they're going to make. And then you as a professional pay attention because they might be missing a couple of important steps. Like they might not, they might not have thought to check references or they might not have thought to go on a site visit or something. And so you can say, oh, well, I noticed you, you know, is this all something you wanted to do? Did you want to check references before you actually make your final decision? And so you can sort of coach them a little bit on how to add their steps. But once they agree to that, you have essentially got all of your advances specific to this one customer on a list and then all you're doing after that and it's not even your list it's their list then you're just going to facilitate their walking through each of those steps and that tells you the advances that you're going to help them you're just basically walking them through their own buying process i really like that i really like that you're literally they're literally giving you what they need to see almost a checklist of what they need on their end to get the deal done and then if you hear things on your end 
that typically your clients ask for. So like you said, whether that's case studies, whether that's testimonials, whether that's other people to speak to, whether that's maybe learning a bit more about your process, what onboarding looks like, what an ongoing relationship looks like. You can say, usually our clients want to know this. Um, and they might say, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, and they'll insert it into their process and then boom, all you're doing is you know helping them through next steps in this process that they've created. So it will never feel like pressure to them because you'll what you'll feel like is a project manager actually to them. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, so we mentioned advances. We talked about, um, you mentioned James and ideal advance and then some of the backup advances. So is that like you said, just putting it back on them saying what does make sense as a next step or do we compile a list of secondary outcomes, third outcomes, et cetera? Yeah, so uh, it's really simple, actually. So you've got your ideal thing that you hope has happened, but in case that doesn't happen, you think, okay, well, maybe you know we could. There's a couple other steps that might be halfway steps, okay? Right. And and what you can use is some other variations of the perfect close. So um, the, an upgrade to the kindergarten version that I just gave you is called a suggestion, and you actually just use it. You'd say, you know, other clients at this stage tend to do X. Does it make sense for us to do X? Okay, and that's really important, especially if the thing that you sell is not something that people buy a lot. Because they're not, they they might buy. I I work in healthcare IT, and sometimes the thing that we're selling, they might buy once in a lifetime, right? And so they really don't have a good idea what next steps are. So when I'm saying, hey, does you know other clients at this stage tend to do this? Does it make sense for us to do that? I'm I'm facilitating. I'm helping them understand what logical next steps you know are, are appropriate, but I'm still leading it up to them, right? It's still open, and you can also use that suggestion in the fallback. So if I said, hey, does it make sense for us to schedule an assessment? And and then you say no, then I would say, well, you know, other clients at this stage will sometimes do this other thing. Does it make sense for us to do that? And that's how you use the fallbacks that you prepared, and that is what ensures that every time we have a meeting, that it, we're either getting we're getting progress each time, or it's actually closing. Okay, so some of this actually comes down to not just what you asked, but preparation pre-meeting. So understanding. <laughs> you nailed it. If there's a secret to selling, it's probably in the preparation. Got it, man. Okay, so this this technique, James, you've you've claimed it's ninety five percent effective. Um, why is it? And like you say, I completely agree that so many of the closes, traditional closes that you hear, typical salespeople say at the end of a conversation are just, we're, we're wary of them um, when they're saying like, should we get started? Should I send over the paperwork? You know, the standard standard stuff we're used to hearing them. Um, why does this work? Why is it not manipulative like perhaps some of the closing techniques we're used, for, used to? Sure. Well, the root of it is that the question itself is not an actual commitment question, right? If I say, will you buy my stuff? Okay, I'm asking you a yes or no, a positive or negative feeling and if, uh, question. And if you say no to that, man, our emotion level will tank. Okay, both with you and the customer. But when I say, does it make sense for us to do this? Or if I say, is the timing right for us to do this? Well, they you haven't really asked for any commitment at all. Okay, but they can clearly see the direction you're headed. Right, that's the beauty of it. And so, but you haven't actually asked for the commitment yet. And so it feels, regardless of their answer, you're going to be emotionally on much, much higher ground because all you're really doing is facilitating. But you're asking their permission if it, if this type particular step is now appropriate for this time. And it, because of that, it ends up um, not having all the negative baggage with a direct close, and it will keep you. Um, what people will actually see you as a trusted advisor, actually, because you're really just facilitating them through their own buying process. Yeah, and I, I think, like you said, it also gives the the client the or the potential customer the feeling that they're in control, I guess. So, uh... 
Yeah, so there's another version of this. Uh, in fact, speaking of control, so there's another variation. Uh, the the fallback you can fall back multiple times. Like let's just say I you know I said hey you, it makes sense for us to do X. You say no. I say all right. You know other clients sometimes do this Y thing. Do you want to do that? If they say no to that, I can I could do it again. I could say well sometimes they do this third thing. Does it make sense for us to do that? And maybe this would be a good time to say if I've given them two options. And then the final thing that you say in the fallback is you just throw them back that original question. Well, all right, well, what do you think is a good next step then? And uh, and usually I, I've been on hundreds of ride-alongs. I can tell you 90% of cases, they will actually suggest a logical next step for themselves, okay? But if it turns out that they still can't, after I've suggested three things and they still can't come up with anything, then that tells us something about the quality of the prospect. Now, and so right. we might want to put them in some kind of a passive marketing mode, but it's really not a good investment of our, our time as professionals because, you know, and so we kind of need that last 5% to help us understand how to manage our time, right? Well, there's another version called the add-on. And the way the add-on works is if I say, hey, does it make sense for us to, to do X? And you say, yes, I go, great. You know, sometimes clients at this stage will also do Y. Does it make sense to do that? And so I'm adding on the other ones that I had in my list until I've reached the pace that the client's ready to go. Okay. And so if they say yes to that, I could say, well, sometimes they also do Z. Does it make sense to do that? And then at the end of the add-on, regardless of whether you run out of advances or whatever, you're going to ask the client something like this. You're going to say, well, are there any other logical steps we should be considering right now? Okay. And, and that what that does is it gives the client a chance to share something that's logical to them that maybe you didn't even think about. Okay. And so again, they're in control really, right? You're facilitating with questioning, but basically they're in control of what they want to do. And I will tell you a mind blowing story. I was working with a group in, um, in Arizona and we were work, we were demonstrating to their IT team and we thought these are not the decision makers. We want to be, we want to, we want to do a presentation to their executive management team because that's who we thought was going to make the decision. So I get in there and I, we're all done. I say, all right, does it make sense for us to schedule a demo for you know, your executive team so we can get their feedback and input? And he goes, yes, that's a great idea. I'm like, wow, cha-ching, I got my first advance, right? So I look at my list. I say, well, you know, a lot of clients at this stage will have us. Um, get our tech technical people together to talk about the conversion. Does it make sense for us to schedule time for our tech people to talk? He's like, yes, my guys are really worried about that. So I'm like, wow, cha-ching, two for two, right? So I asked him a thing. I said, I think I've got everything I need here to create a, like a preliminary proposal for you just so you can feel for the scope of the project. Yeah. Does it make sense for me to put together a preliminary proposal? He goes, yes, that'd be super helpful. I'm like, wow, I'm totally spent, right? So I asked him that last question. I just say, hey, well, are there any other logical steps we should be considering? And you, this, what this guy said will blow your mind. He's, <laughs> uh, he looks around and kind of lowers his voice a little bit. He goes, well, is there any chance I could get a copy of your standard agreement? Because our legal people can be kind of slow. <laughs> and I'm, of course, on the outside, I'm cool as a cucumber. I'm like, well, yes, I'd be happy to get you a copy of the standing. But on the inside, I'm like, oh, yeah, are you kidding? Of course I can get you a contract, right? And here's the thing is I, we, didn't, we didn't even think we were presenting to the right people. But because we use this method, we were able to pace it at exactly the rate that the client's ready to go. And that's what made it work, right? So with the fallback, you can slow it down. And with the add-on, you can speed it up at whatever pace the client's ready to go. That's the whole point, right? It's when we try to go faster than they're ready for, that's when it starts to feel like manipulation. And you don't want to go there because as soon as the client feels manipulated, they will withhold information from you. And then the whole selling process is going to become, um, uh, it will be dysfunctional basically because they, they don't trust you anymore, right? They're worried that you're going to try to pressure them and any information that you give them is going to be used against them. I think, and, and James, correct me if I'm wrong here, but does it work so well also because it's conversational? Absolutely. And you don't have to memorize anything. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about the timing of it either, because it is a timing question, 
right? So yeah. you don't have to, oh, Lord, is this the right moment for me to ask the closing question? I mean, I can't tell by the sweat running off their head if this is the right thing to ask, right? I mean, I've read all, all these setups and things like that. And it, it's really, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You don't have to worry about it. All I would just say is maybe from an agenda perspective, if mm -hmm. you created an agenda for your, for your uh, meeting, I would just put action items or next steps somewhere at the bottom. And then what that will do is create a very natural flow as you go through your agenda to ask your, you know, does it make sense question towards the end yeah, um, because if you're just following the normal agenda. So if you have a hard time knowing when, I would just create an agenda before you go. They don't have to be complicated. They can be half a page, right? And then you can, you're just walking them through the list and then you ask your question when it comes time to the next steps. Yeah, so many good points raised there, James. Um, the first one being able to qualify out prospects. So when you're actually asking them, like, does it make sense to, to move ahead or does it make sense to involve other decision makers in the pro process? And if, if they can't, even when you flip that back to them, so say they're, they're saying no to, to you in terms of your close and then you're saying, what does make sense as the next step? Or what do you recommend as the next step? And, and they're not really giving you answers or they're unsure and they're giving you wishy-washy responses. I guess it's quite a good way to filter out how serious they are about actually doing business with you and then move on to the next qualified prospect, right? Yeah, and so it kind of ties to the thing we said at the very beginning, which is the single best thing you can do is sell to only ideal clients. But in the real world, we don't always get that right. And so judging how they respond to these very facilitative, non-confrontational questions tells us about the quality and the urgency that this client has. And if they're not really willing to exercise any you know, action or, um, or energy towards uh, you know, what we're talking about right now, then it must not be very important for them. And that tells us that it's going to be a time sink. Um, from our, a, a sales and as, as sales professionals, all we have is our time. That's it. We can we convert time into money, right? And so um, the Pareto principle says that 20% of those accounts you're going to work are actually going to suck up 80% of your time. So you, it's really important that the 20% you're working are really good and high qualified prospects. And this is one way of figuring that out. And you might even be able to do that on your discovery call where you haven't gone on site. You haven't invested a lot of time yet. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and is there ever a time where we can use it too much? As in, can we keep saying it and then eventually a prospect might clock on to it? Have we got to be strategic in how we place it into our conversations? There's only one time where I'd say that's true, and that's in the fallback. So if, if you, have, you, know, you say, hey, does it make sense for us to do A, and they say uh, no, and then you fall back to say, hey, does it make sense? All right, well, other clients at this stage sometimes do B. Does it make sense for us to do that? And you can fall back even to C, right? I would re don't do it more than twice. My observation is that once you've done it more than twice, it starts to look really self-serving, like you're trying to push, right? And so just um, that would be the only time. I would say otherwise, what the data shows from uh, gong.io is that you really can't use it too much. I mean, there, there are different variations. So I want you to, people should make it natural and say it the way they say uh, things. But but be sure you understand what the question is. It's a timing question. It's not a, a commitment question. So when you're rephrasing it, don't accidentally do what one of my sales guys did and and basically reworded it and, and the way he reworded it, turned it into a commitment question and said, will you do this is essentially what he did. And um, what he thought he was doing, he thought he was he was compressing two questions into one really efficient question. But what he did is he changed the total nature of the question. He removed the timing aspect out of it, which ruined it. Yeah. And I can genuinely vouch for the the, the close myself because I started using it when I, as I mentioned pre-record, I heard you on a podcast a while back, James, and I've actually started using it myself. So if I'm trying to book a meeting or try and book a next step, I'm typically saying, look, does it make sense to speak again this time next week? Or does it make sense to involve the rest of the team? And so far, I haven't really had any pushback or even if they say, just like you mentioned, even if they say, they say well, that's not going to be a great time for us. And I'm saying, well, when, when is, when does it make sense? And it, honestly, go. I've not, today, I've not had a pushback. 
as in someone's caught me out or someone's said, why are you asking me this? There's been no no real rebuttal. It just does seem to work as a, a smooth process so far. I mean, I'll keep you in the loop if anyone, if anyone does push back. <laughs> And I have I have a whole email directory full of it works it works oh my gosh this works right they can't believe how simple it is and you don't have to do any you know prepping or memorizing crazy you know things to set up your clothes it's just a very simple thing that you can apply over and over again um, in all of the different models uh, or you know different sales opportunities that you have and so your experience is my experience is it works pretty much all the time I mean it, if it doesn't work then it's telling us something about the quality. Now, where maybe we should talk is we should set our expectations. What people probably hope for when they see a thing that says perfect close is that I can um, I can use this magic phrase to take a unqualified prospect and, and suddenly turn them into a closed qualified prospect. And that won't happen. OK, sure. if I give if I give you a terrible prospect and you use the perfect close on them, it, it, it doesn't matter. If, if they're a bad prospect and this is not a good solution for them, it's not going to magically convert them. So don't expect that. But what it will do is if you have good qualified prospects that we talked about at the beginning, you'll end up with a huge pipeline that is all moving slowly forward at their own pace until you end up getting a lot of business. And, and you'll you'll be closing. It's the industry average for close ratios is between 20 and 22% or so, right? So, But I, I have many clients that have salespeople that are closing 80% of their clients, right? Now their sales cycles vary because it just depends on what you're selling and, and what the normal process is. But can you imagine closing at 80% everything that you're working? You're, what would that do to your income? I mean, if you're around the 20% level and you're closing at 80, that's like 4Xing your income. And it can do that. I've actually had one client where it, it 9Xed their, uh, their income. So um, it's all very doable, but uh, your expectations of, hey, there's a magic thing I can say that will make them buy my stuff right now, that's not what this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I completely agree. At the end of the day, if you're going to put rubbish, if you're going to put nonsense into your sales funnel of prospects that aren't that qualified, that aren't a great fit, then you can't expect awesome, insane, magical results or, or 10x of your sales <laughs> revenues. It's just not going to happen, right? Yeah. But these these small things, I think even the fact that this can qualify prospects pretty fast. And quite often when you do ask for those net com next commitment levels, you're soon going to shake out any any weeds in the pipeline. You're soon going to determine if this is a genuine prospect who wants to, who genuinely wants your help or has a problem you can solve, or if it's just someone trying their luck. Business Growth Show is sponsored by Vidyard. In today's digital world, getting the attention of key prospects can be a tricky task. Emails and phone calls are often ignored and meeting up in person is rarely an option. And that's exactly why tools like Vidyard have become so effective. Vidyard is a free app that makes it easy to record and send custom video messages that truly stand out and generate more responses. It's a great way to introduce yourself, to showcase your personality, and to create a more personal connection from your very first outreach. You can sign up for your own free account today at vidyard.com forward slash BGS to start sending your very own video messages. That's vidyard.com forward slash BGS. The show is also sponsored by Web Choice. Are you tired of hunting for clients? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending money on marketing, but your website is failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of leads and sales. Want to learn more about Web Choice's unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you? Book a free digital marketing assessment today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all good. In terms of the 
things that we've covered, James, in terms of ideal advances, backup, backup advances, um, why it works. Is there any other points that we should take in consideration before we go out, hit the phones or hit the Zoom calls and try, try and start working this into our general approach? Yeah, so I would just say this is um, yeah, selling is serving, okay? And so a lot of people have the wrong perception about what it is. They think it's about persuasion or they think it's about manipulation or something, but selling is really about um, serving. And um, if you think about it, the reason the customer's talking to you is because they're trying to achieve a goal, but they, they can't do it on their own. So they're expecting you to be a coach and a facilitator to help them get their goal. That's what your job is, right? So it's really more about leadership than it is about you know persuasion and which one of us right it's at the beginning of the year a lot of people have fitness goals this time of year which one of us wouldn't like to have a, a coach that would help us move to, at our own pace to help us achieve our own fitness goal well we all would right well that's what that's what the customer is expecting from you so that's my challenge uh to the sales professional out there in the world is that we can really do a lot better job of facilitating about teaching about coaching our clients and helping them achieve their goals and when you do that oh my goodness life becomes so much easier the, the first thing is that it's actually way more successful so you're going to actually sell more by just helping them get what they're trying to get right don't lean into it it's don't think about you think about them and then uh, and secondly um, you'll be so much more happy. The, the, the process of selling this way is, is it puts you in this Zen-like state where you're just enjoying every minute of it. And so if you're feeling any kind of pressure or anything like that, that, that uh, I got to get this closed because I got to make quota or whatever, all of that will disappear and your success level will go through the roof. So it's this beautiful um, sweet spot between those two things where you're actually genuinely helping customers and you're actually more successful yourself and it doesn't and the whole um process is enjoyable for you and it's just the best place you can be and so just upgrading your your closing process just to this simple thing it's very liberating for a lot of folks yeah and i've been there james i've been in the boiler room i've been selling products over the phone ramming them down people's throats in, in years gone by where it's just you, you did it, but I just didn't feel great. That's why I had to get out of it. That's why I got into to digital marketing sales, something I'm more passionate, what, what I generally enjoy and where I can really help people and grow their business. And I've been there where you've you're kind of selling things that you're just going for the clothes rather than trying to offer a product or service that's genuinely helpful. And like you say, when you start using these kind of strategies that are actually putting the customer in control, um, and it's almost as if the customer's, making the decision themselves so rather than trying to force them push them to do it that you're actually asking them look does it actually make sense to do this and they feel like they have full control i feel yes and it's better they want that they want that so there's uh i mean we could talk about more about the science about why it works but the thing the thing is is when you're working with a customer in the first few minutes they are, are judging two things they're judging warmth and competence okay and warmth is basically they're looking for your intent and what they do in the first few seconds, literally, is they look at it, they say, what is this person's intention? Is this person trying to help me or hurt me? Okay. And then the second thing they gauge is what's their competent? How capable are they, are they at helping me or hurting me? And the mistake that most salespeople make, literally a large share of them, is they think if they can win the competence battle, I am the best at doing this. They think if they can win that battle, they will win. But the truth is what the data shows, hands down, is that warmth and uh, intent is measured heavier and earlier in the process than competency. And so they're playing to the competency, which is fine. You need to be competent for sure, right? You still want to be the best, but you, they need to understand that your intention is to help them in whatever way is appropriate. And if they detect at some point that your intentions are off, then in most cases, the show's off. 
right? That's when they start holding withholding information. And that's when the sales process starts becoming dysfunctional. So intent in this case matters more than technique does because um, it's, it's that person's trust in us that allows us to demonstrate our confidence. So, um, I mean, there's, that's a little more science behind why the whole thing works. That that could of course be a whole other episode, but just to (laughs) put across that intent, is that more in the way of the tone of our our voice, how we're our hand movements, how we're coming across the prospects, or is there, there a is a ton of things? Thing. That is a really <laughs> great question. So all of chapter three is designed around that in the book. But I will just say there's you've got something called micro expressions, and these are these are facial expressions that actually are one twenty fifth of a second or so. They're super fast. Most people cannot detect them and discern them, and so people just. When they react with a person, they say, oh, I have this feeling about this person. But what's really happening is they're reacting to these micro expressions. Mm -hmm. So that's a nonverbal way that people communicate. There's another thing that's called uh, mirror neurons. And that's a a short version without giving you a whole science thing on that is um, it's sympathy. It's why when you go to a movie and you you can relate to the characters in the movie and you cry because the person in the show is sad, right? That's mirror neurons working. And that's a very fascinating area of science. That's nonverbal communication between two people. And the last is called uh, paralanguage. And paralanguage is the tonality in your voice. They could, like if, if you're, if you're significant other, if you ask her how she's doing and she says, fine, you can tell by the way they said fine, that they're really not fine. Right. Yep. So, um, yeah, exactly. So these three things are three areas where we're communicating our intent unintentionally. Okay. And so when you first share this with sales professionals, what they the immediate thing that they go for is they go, well, how do I make sure that I'm communicating, you know, the right intent? And I'm like, you can't. That's the answer. The answer is you can't. The only real answer, and there's something sublimely divine about what I'm about to share with you, is that the only way to really demonstrate that you, ha- you have good intent is to actually have good intent. Okay. And so there's a couple things you can do before you go into any meeting to think about, hey, get off yourself, get off your product and just think, how can I best serve this person? If you go in with that kind of an attitude, what will happen is all of these nonverbal signals that you're giving off will all be sending the right signal. And that person will recognize that you're actually just trying to help. But when you go in thinking about how you can get their money, well, I'll give you an example. I had a, uh, a customer call me one time and said, uh, don't send that sales guy back here again. So he, he got mad at one of my sales guys and he goes, that guy has commission breath. Okay. And that word just captures exactly what we're talking about is he could tell that my sales guy was not interested in helping him genuinely. He was just helping, trying to get money. He was just trying to get a sale. Right. And so the guy said, Hey, don't ever bring him back here again. I don't want to see that guy. And so that's the point I was trying to make is that your intent matters more than technique does. And so it, uh, maybe another great principle here is that becoming a better person will actually make you a better salesperson. And that's because of the how important trust is in the sale, right? Other kind of industries, if you're a brain surgeon, maybe, you know, competency is really more important than your, you know, your bedside manner. But uh, when it comes to selling, our trust is far, far more important because it's rated above the competency. Yeah, love that. Love that. Completely agree. In, in your opinion, James, to you mentioned that being genuine um, rather than just having the commission breath pushing for, for a deal just because you want, want the commission check or you want to hit a certain target. Do you feel that as a, as a business owner or as a sales professional, we have to be genuinely passionate about how our product helps people, the product itself or the product's outcomes? Otherwise, we're, we're not going to be able to hit our full potential. Hundred percent, and I would actually put most of that focus on the outcomes that the client receives by using the product. Your product is only a vehicle 
to help them get the result that they're doing, right? That they're, they're aiming for. And so that's where our focus should be. And so instead of thinking about your product and all the features and all the bells and whistles and all that, like it's super common in the SaaS industry, mm. it, right? To go straight to the demo, okay? But what you, it, how will you know what the target is that you're supposed to hit in the demo if you haven't learned in discovery what the customer's goals are? Right. And so it's really important for us to step back and just listen and try to understand what the customer's trying to do. And once you've done that, then you'll know exactly what the bullseye is. And you'll find that you actually could do your normal demo in half the time or less because they're only really trying to do a couple of really you know simple things. And you don't need to show them all everything. In fact, when you show them more of what your software, your solution does than the customer asked for, it actually to in their brains, it makes it look more complex to them than it needs to be. So you're hurting yourself when you go past the actual measure of what they're trying to do, right? Just solve exactly what they're trying to, you know, trying to solve and then stop. And if they want to give you more, they will give you more. But you, if you oversell it, what ends up happening is your solution starts to look complex. And they're like, oh, wow, and this is going to require a lot of change and a lot of learning. And I don't know if I want that, right? And so the, the, the only way to solve that problem is just to listen during the discovery process and understand exactly what they're going for. And there is an art to that. Like we could spend a whole nother session on how do I conduct a, a discovery that allows me to identify what those two key issues are. Cause in most cases, there's only two really weighty key issues. They might give you six, right? But there's going to be two of those that are carrying all the weight. And so you need to know what those are before you start saying, Oh, I can do that. I can do that. Cause if, if you ask them, they might, the sixth one that they give you might be the one that's carrying all the weight. And so you have to be really smart about, how you uh, conduct your discovery and don't jump into selling before you've understand what the bullseye is. Yeah, completely agree. Listening is definitely a skill that's hugely undervalued. And I can say for sure, I used to be terrible at it, especially in my younger days of sales and business. I used to want to rush through my offer, quickly tell my prospects how great, how amazing my product, how, how amazing my service was when uh, really you need to, like you say, conduct good discovery, understand where they're trying to get to, what their issues are, if your product's even a good match or a good fit. To, to help them out before you get to that good stuff, whether it's a demonstration, proposal, whatever that next step may be. Look, James, really, really enjoyed this, man. Um, one final question, if I may, for anyone that's whizzed through this, this full podcast episode and thought, yes, this all sounds really good. This all sounds great. But I still don't really li- like asking people to do stuff. How, what would your advice be for them, James, for people that don't really like asking for the clothes? <laughs> You're in sales. Part of your job is to ask people to do so. I would just say this. Understand that selling is serving. If you look at what sales call reluctance is, it can be traced down to about four or five different things. But probably one of the biggest things is that you may not be emotionally and from your value side congruent with what you're selling. And if you do not believe in your product, that it's actually helping and serving other people when they get the full benefit of it, then you need to get away and get into an industry where you can believe in the product because you are telegraphing all of that nonverbal um, non-trust in your own solution in when you're in your conversations with clients, you'll be telegraphing it. And so just make sure that the thing that you are selling is something you can be passionate about. Maybe you own that same thing, or maybe you've used it and you've seen the results. And if you're a manager listening to this, here's what my advice is. Have a, have a, a, a day where you're having a sales meeting and then have one of your happy customers come in and just explain to your team exactly why it is that they love the solution and explain how they use it and how it made a difference in them. That will make, you could literally, as the manager, you could do that same presentation yourself, but your team will not believe it in the same way as when you bring a client in and they speak right from their heart about how it does that. That will change their understanding of how it really does make a difference. 
But that's a, that is a fundamental thing is if you don't believe in the product, you're going to be telegraphing it all over the place. So it's really important uh, for us and all of our teams to make sure that we were 100% sold on the solution. And if you're not, go pick it, go pick an industry where you can be passionate about the solution, right? Where you know that when, when a customer adopts it, it makes a difference in people's lives because that that matters, right? And, and so when, when you understand that, I, I'm in the healthcare space. And what I can tell you is that um, is we we end up in situations all the time where some kind of miracle, um, uh, a drug or a technique or a procedure is is discovered, and it helps save someone's life. Well, and, and what, what most people don't realize is that there's sales involved in all of those. All of those. There's a selling part of it because those procedures require, you know. Uh, uh, all kinds of things that cost money that insurance companies have to pay for and they have to get sure. on schedules and things like that. And so selling, ha it takes place, but is anybody sad that a, a salesperson was involved that, you know, uh, developed a biodegradable tracheal splint that saved somebody's life? Well, no, we're grateful to, that that sale happened because lives were saved because of that. Okay. Well, I, just think about your, what you're selling is the same way, right? You're helping a person achieve a goal, avert a problem or, a, you know, a get, get away from a crisis of some kind, one of those three things. And so it, you should, it, it, not only should you not experience any reticence or resistance, it, it actually should be inherently motivating on its own in the same way that you would love to help somebody across the street if they're struggling to get across the street that you would do that right in the same way you're trying to help a, a customer actually achieve their goal you're serving them and these medical examples that i'm talking about they they reveal what selling really is which is serving right it's when we get too far apart from that we start to think about what we want what we're going to get out of it or the money that we're going to get and that's when it becomes dysfunctional and i, I and i'll acknowledge by the way that it is hard sometimes, but when you remember that selling is serving is 100% noble and it is 100% satisfying when we do that. And that is motivating in its own right. James, love all of those examples and love the passion that shines through yourself when, when you're, you're selling it to me. And um, just, just like you say, being, being genuine about what you offer. I love the example of getting in a happy customer so they can literally tell you why they, they like your product, why they like your service. They can even give you some of the content that you can use yourself. You can literally take the words out of your mouth, which we, out of their mouths, which we've talked about on previous episodes in terms of being able to use that in your marketing material and in your sales pitch on your website and all your collateral. So yeah, I've just thoroughly enjoyed it, James. I really want to thank you for coming on and we'll definitely have to get you back in on a future episode uh, if, if you're up for it, sir. Absolutely. Uh, my pleasure. It was great being on. I thank you for inviting me. Cheers, dude. And if anyone wants to learn more about yourself, if anyone wants to connect with you or do some business with you, James, what is the best way to get in touch, please? Sure. The website is definitely the best. It's puremuir.com, P-U-R-E-M-U-I-R.com. And um, it actually, everything, literally everything that we've talked about, I used to have this huge page that had like about a dozen or uh, 16 different downloads. They're all now in one big super bundle. So if somebody wants to literally download pretty much all the content that we've talked about today, they can get all of that for free just off the website. Just go to the resource sources page who there's a download you get one big file it has all this stuff in it awesome man good stuff james well what thank you once again and um we'll, we'll catch you again soon if you enjoyed the show be sure to hit subscribe wherever the heck you get your podcast it's business growth show and with that we'll catch you again on the next episode